Blog Talk Radio.
word is given to us. So it will teach us to be careful on what we meditate in our heart, what we say, what we think, hallelujah, can have a life in our heart where God is also is. Although when he was Lucifer, he was of God in the beginning, with God in the beginning, but God knows all, can see all, and God saw, God heard what the devil was saying inside his heart. God knows what goes on inside your heart and inside my heart. Be careful. Careful what you're thinking in your heart. Be careful what you're planning in your heart. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Again, look what the devil was meditating on in his heart. God reveals the inner secret, the Bible says, of our heart. There is nothing hidden that will not come out to light. What you're thinking, what you're planning, it is clear in the eyes of God. You cannot have a thought from God. God knows all. Oh, I thank you, Father, for Jesus. Isaiah 14, 13. So thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend unto heaven, and I will install my throne about the star of God. The stars of the angel. I will ascend my throne above the angel, he said. He was looking to be like God. He thought to be like God. His pride deceiving so more. This is the problem. The heart can be so deceitful. That, that's what we're going to talk about. I mentioned the Lord's Hour last week that sometime in the next days, few days, we were going to talk about how deceitful the heart is. In case you did not know how deceitful your heart and my heart can be, we're going to go into the Word of God. Lie to my feet is thy word. And we're going to go into the Word of God to help us, brothers and sisters, to understand that the best way for you to live, for you and I to live, is to live under the fear of the Lord. It is in the best place you and I can be always, under the fear of the Lord. And we should not trust anyone, not even ourselves. The best thing we can do is repent, brothers and sisters. Turn away from our wicked way. It's the way, it's the best thing you and I can do, brothers and sisters. Be careful. Please be careful. I hope the Lord will enlighten you tonight through his word and help you and I understand that in these last days, it's a must important that our heart be pure for the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Deuteronomy 11.16, there is a warning there given to us by God. It says there, Deuteronomy 11.16, but beware lest your heart deceive you. 
imagine. Heart deceiving our heart is. That we're calling ourselves Christian. We think everything is so fine. And all of a sudden our heart is misleading us to worship other gods. Or to think of yourself and myself more than we what we should. Because the Bible warns us about that. The Bible warns us about that. Satan wanted to say above the stars, above God's angels. He wanted to be greater than Michael. Hallelujah. Then Gabriel and all these other angels. Satan wanted to be greater than them. Brothers and sisters. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I don't know what's in your heart tonight. But I hope the Lord brings it out to light. To your understanding that maybe what you've been thinking and planning in your heart is not of God. You are being deceived by your own heart. Be careful. Be very careful. Please. Be very careful. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Job 31, 9, in my heart has been deceived by a woman, and if I had laid wait at the door of my neighbor, oh, Lord, have mercy. Hallelujah. Isaiah 44, 20, he defeateth Abashes and seduced heart that have deceived him, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, there is not a lie in my right hand. People can be so deceived. Hallelujah. He says that he cannot deliver his soul. He is so deceived, he's writing, he's heading straight to the pen of hell, and he's not even noticed. Brothers and sisters, be careful. My friend, you that are listening to this message tonight, be careful. Be very careful. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jeremiah 4.10, then said out, I am, Lord God, surely thou hast deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying ye should have peace, and the sword proceed unto the heart. God don't deceive anyone. Mend us. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 49.16, thy fear Thy pride of thy heart have deceived thee. Thou hast dwelt in the in the sea of the rock and keepest the head of the hill, though thou shouldest make thy net as high as the eagle, I will bring thee down from hence, says the Lord. Oh pride can be so deceitful. And pride is in the heart. Pride can be so deep in the heart. Look what he's thinking. And look what many people are thinking in these last days. They want to be so deep into the rock of the mountain. They want to build, hallelujah, bunkers so secure that they think nothing can penetrate. No matter how much earthquake, how much solar flare comes to the earth, they think they will not be touched. Nothing will harm them. They will be totally protected in the bunkers. They think they have enough food. They will have enough water. There is no way they can be harmed. They are being deceived. They have been deceived. They are deceived in their own pride of their heart. Brothers and sisters, again, Jeremiah 49, 16. Thy fear. First of all, they're building these bunkers deep into the rock of the mountain because of the fear of things that are coming. Huh. It is all out of fear. 
And out of the pride of the heart, God said, deceive thee. The pride in people's hearts, it is so deep, it is so strong, it has been so much part of them for so many years that God says to them, in the pride of thy heart, have deceived thee. They're being deceived. They have been deceived. They don't notice. They don't know how much deceived they are. God have mercy upon the soul. God have mercy upon the soul. Thou that dwell in the cliff of the rock, God is saying to them, they're in the cliff of the rock, the keeper the head of the hill, that thou shalt make thy net as high as the, as the eagle, making a, a ship that will go to other planet. There is a ship being built in Florida, in China, in many other countries, which will take more than 250 engineers, scientists, and the smartest professor and people to other planet. When, when the earth, that they say, they plan and say and think, by the time the earth gets destroyed. Scientists believe by their own study of their own pride that the earth soon is going to get destroyed. So they're building a ship that will hold 250,000 people with the best and brightest of the earth where they can fly off way to other planets, other places in the galaxy for them to be able to live longer in the generation to come, they say. But look what God says to those people. It's not a price. The keeper, the head of the hill, thou the shoulders that make the nest as high as the eagle. Don't matter how high you build yourself a secure place. God says, I will bring thee down from him, says the Lord. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I will escape the power, the anger of a living God. How will they escape? The power and the anger of a living God. Brothers and sisters, God is giving humanity one last chance, a choice to make. And the choice is Jesus Christ to repent to Jesus. It is the only open door that God is giving humanity. And his name is Jesus. His name is Yeshua. His name is Yahashua. It is the open door to heaven. It is the open door to the Father. There's only one way and one mediator between God and man. It is Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Brothers and sisters, no one comes to the Father except through him. No one. I don't care what their name is, brothers and sisters. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. There is only one door to heaven, and that door is Jesus Christ. They need to enter through the door. There is no way anyone can come any other way but through the door. You don't come to your house through any other way but through the door, brothers and sisters. The way into your house, the way into God's throne is Jesus Christ. It is the last hope. Humanity in these last days, Jesus Christ. But because they refuse the truth, they refuse to believe the truth, brothers and sisters, they have become condemned, the Bible says. 
God have mercy upon their soul. Hallelujah. Hosea 7-11. Ephraim also is like a dog deceived with our heart. They call to Egypt, and they will go to Assyria. God have mercy. Ovedia 1-3. The pride of our heart have deceived thee. Thou that dwell in the cliff of the rock, whose amnestation is high, that sit in, in his heart, who should bring me down to the ground? I tell you, God is. God is the one who's going to bring you down to the ground. If you walk in pride, you will have to humble yourself. It is the only way, oh, God is going to humble yourself. God of mercy. Romans 16, 18, for they that are such, serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own valley, with the fair speech and flattening, deceive the heart of the simple. Be careful with, with full prophecy the last day, with flattening words, with beautiful words, with beautiful message of the gospel. In these last day, they deceive the heart, the Bible says. Don't let anyone deceive your heart, and don't deceive you anyone. Don't let anyone deceive your heart. Don't let your heart deceive you either. I thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. James one twenty six. If any man among you seem religious and refrain not his tongue, but deceive his own heart, this man the religion is vain. It's nothing. Without the true of Christ, without living for Christ, without Jesus Christ in our heart, we're nothing. Vain. Vanity of vanity. Those mirrors are being sold a lot in the last days. Vanity of vanity. Oh, God. Oh, God, have mercy. Hallelujah. Have mercy. The deceive of a heart. Your heart is deceiving people. Hallelujah. Praise Lord. Isaiah 21 4. My heart is panting, fearfully affrighting me. The night of the pleasure has he turned into fear to me. God is working in our heart, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. God is working in our life. And it is a good thing he's doing in our life. God is working to change us, to cleanse us, to purify us, brothers and sisters, to make us right standing with him. God is working his purpose in our life. This is why you and I need to understand that we are being cleansed. Isaiah 29, 13 says this, Therefore the Lord says, I so much are these people draw near me. Where their mouth and where their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. They were not being sincere. They were doing what they were doing, what because they were being told to do it. They did not want it to do it. It was not coming out of their heart. This is why, if we chose to serve Jesus, it is the the choosing. Of this matter to serve the Lord has to be from the heart. If you say that you're going to serve God from your heart, you will truly serve him. But it's only from your 
your heart, you are deceiving yourself, and you're going to walk away one day. You're going to get angry at God, brothers and sisters. But if it's on your heart, no matter what you go through, you will hang on to the Lord because you're serving him from the heart. Thank you, Lord. If it's out of knowledge, hallelujah, or being convinced of someone, it don't work right. It has to be from your heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Isaiah 30, 14. And he should break us, and it's the breaking of the part of vessel that is broken in pieces. He should not spare, so they shall not be found in the bursting of the sharp to take fire from the heart or to take water thereby out of the pit. God is working in our life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is working in our life. Isaiah 30, 29. He should have a song in the night when the holy solemnity is kept in gladness of the heart as when one go for the pipe to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty of Israel. Those that are seeking God wants more God, and God is there. God makes itself available for them that wants to have more of him. Hallelujah. If you want to have more of God, no one can stop you. God wants you to have more of him, and God made himself available for you. I thank you, Jesus. God made himself available for you. That's why when people keep coming to me, I keep turning them to the Lord because God is always available. I might be busy. I have a family. I have a ministry. I have a lot to do. But God, although he may be busy, he is still has time for you because he can be in all places of all in all time. I cannot. I sincerely cannot. Praise you, Lord. But the Lord can. The Lord can. I say 32.4. The heart is also the rational understand knowledge, and the tongue of the matter should be ready to speak plainly. God will do this. God will make us bold enough to speak plainly, to speak without any fear. But that's when we have ourselves to God. God can work his word in our life. He makes us ready for the kingdom to preach his gospel. But we have to have more ourselves. Him that wants to be the greater must be the servant, said Jesus. You want God to use you greatly in the kingdom? Serve. Humble yourself and serve others. If you want to be the greater. That's the only way. That is the teaching of Rabbi Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Isaiah 32, 6. For the by person will speak that venerably in his heart, will work iniquity, iniquity to practice hypocrisy and to utter error against the Lord, to make empty the soul of the hungry, he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. People with the vanity, people with the heart full of this world, full of pride, can make other people fail. That's why we need to be careful who we follow. Because you, if you put in your trust in men, when Psalm, Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9 said, it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in man, and it's better to trust in the Lord than to trust in princes or in prince. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It is better for you and I to trust in the Lord. But if you are trusting in man, he can lead you to fail. That's one of the problems that is happening in a lot of places today. 
lots of people are backsliding in these last days, walking away from the churches, so heard, so heard by the leaders, so heard by the things they have done, by the things they've been arrested by, and they've gone to jail by. They're walking away with their head down, all disappointed, because they have put their trust in men instead of putting their trust in the Lord who will not fail you, who will not disappoint you, who will not hurt you. I thank you, Jesus. Learn to trust in the Lord. You may be trusting a man for, for long, but God has been speaking to you to turn back to the Lord and trust in the Lord, in the Lord. I thank you, Jesus. Very important in these last days, brothers and sisters, that we trust in the Lord. Very few people know Hallelujah, what I'm talking about when I say trust in the Lord. Very few people know what I'm talking about. Thank you, Jesus. Listen to this. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thy own wisdom and all thy way. Acknowledge him that he should direct thy way. The Lord knows how to direct your way in my way, the correct way. Uh, thank you, Lord. Happens to me years ago. I was being beaten by a man of God. And Jesus gave me a revelation. Jesus took me out of my body, and I saw I was laying in a bed. I remember that dream of the Lord. Angel came and bound me to the bed, tied me to the bed. They were taking their hand in my heart. And they were taking out things out of my heart. And, and when they were doing this, it was hurting me. I began to complain to the angel in that revelation of the Lord because it was hurting me. And the Lord began to show me in church when I was submitting to this man as he was using the word to hurt me. And the Lord says, I see how man is using my word to hurt you. Without any mercy and without any care, the Lord Jesus says to me, when I was allowed to go into another room, when Jesus was in that room standing there, and the Lord said, I can see how men have been hurting you using my word without any care. Praise the Lord. But I will not do that to you. I will, I will deal with you with loving kindness. I will help you. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He came that they perish not, but that, hallelujah, that they may have life and have it abundantly. This, there is no way Jesus can come to you and that you will perish. That things, hallelujah, in your life that God can make right will go wrong. There is no way. If you humble yourself, if you near yourself to God, if you seek God from all your heart, if you trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, he will direct your way. Huh. He know how to direct people the right way. Only Jesus can do this, brothers and sisters. He can direct you and I. He can direct our way like no one can. Hallelujah. Listen to this. And if you don't believe me, Psalm 9, 10. And they that know thy name will trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not failed them that seek thee. Are you listening? For four 
a child serve the Lord. There was never a time when a lion or a bear tried to eat one of the David's father's sheep in which David was in charge that God abandoned David to the lion or to the, oh, hallelujah, or to the bear. David was able to overcome them in the name of the Lord. The same way he overcame Goliath, the giant Goliath, brothers and sisters. David speak from his own experience with God, in his own work with God, in his own relationship with God. David gives to you and I the knowledge and experience of God, what he experienced and what he has seen in other people's lives. There was never a time over the Jewish people that they were more prospered and more blessed than in the time when King David was anointed king over Israel, over all Judah. Israel, according to the word of God, began to be blessed by God with such abundance. I hear a lot of people talking about the Solomon kingdom. And I tell people, before Solomon saw the blessing of God, he began to see the blessing in his own household. He began to see his blessing through his own father, David. David was anointed by God. David had a heart according to God's own heart. When David was anointed to be king, hallelujah, God sent Samuel to go anoint him in his own house. He was he had such a favor with God that even his anointing was a special thing because David was a special man, was a special child of God. I thank you, Jesus. And when you are special, when you have grown in grace with God, God will honor you. If you honor God, God says in his word, I will honor those that honor me. Oh, God is so awesome. So God honored David. He sent Samuel to anoint him as king over all Israel. And Israel began to have peace, began to have blessing through David in abundance like they never had before, brothers and sisters. And the kingdom of David. Oh, I thank you, God, for King David. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. There was not a king over Israel in which God was more pleased than the kingdom of David. Jesus did not come according to Solomon. Hallelujah. According to Joshua, according to Namadim, not even according to Moses. He comes according to David. Oh, thank you, Lord. Why? Because David was special. David was special before the Lord. David served the Lord. A great example for you and I. And David's going to be king in the millennium again over Israel, his people. As God has promised. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Look again what David says from his own experience with God. Psalm 13, 5. But I trust in his mercy, in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. That is Jesus Christ. I will sing to the Lord because he hath dealt with loving with me. Oh, I thank you, Lord. You see that when God deals with you, 
as you. He is going to deal with you with lovely, lovely, with love. Now, when men deal with you, you don't know the outcome because they can be nice to you one day. The next day they can accuse you of something. They can hurt you. They can come against you. They can steal things from you. They can lie to you. You don't know the outcome because men trust in the heart. Brothers and sisters, it's one of the, big, the biggest problems. One of the biggest problems is the men on this earth, the majority trust in their heart. Psalm 13, 5. But I trust in thy mercy, my heart to rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he hath dealt with lovely with me. Oh. Look how the Lord dealt with David. That's how the Lord's going to deal with you and I when we trust in the Lord from our heart. It has to be from the heart. If you trust in the Lord from the heart, listen to this, Psalm 18, 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. He, he that delivered me, my God and my strength, and him where I trust my shield. The horn also of my salvation and my refuge. My goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, hallelujah. David, just say he's my everything. <laughs> There's so much, so much he thought of God. The Lord is my rock, my fortress. He delivered me, my God and my strength. In him I will trust my shield, the horn also of my salvation and my refuge. Do you see the sound of the trumpet there? The horn also of my salvation. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout as the trumpet of God. There you go. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. We can trust in you, Jesus, because you will never let us down, Lord. That is not you, Jesus. That is not you. Make it. Men can let you down, but not the Lord, not the Lord, not the Lord, not the Lord. I thank you, Lord. Listen to this, Psalm 1830. The word of God is uncorrupt. The word of the Lord is dry in the fire. He is sealed to all that trust in him. If you had any doubt ever, if you ever had any doubt, whether the word of God was good enough for you. Let me tell you how the word of God is trying. Thank you, Lord. Listen to this. The word of God is uncorrupt. There's no correction in the word of the Lord. There's no way. There's no way you can be deceived by the word of the Lord. By the word of the Lord. No way possible. If you trust in the Lord. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord is tried in the fire. Yeah. If you think, if you ever thought that the word of God is good enough for you, let me tell you something about the word of God. It is put to the fire. And I seen the fire of the Lord. Nothing can go through there and come to the other side if it's not pure. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. If it's not genuine, if it's not of God, if it's not meant by the Holy Spirit, they cannot make it to the other side. Oh, I 
thank you, Jesus. I get excited because I see the fire. I see the fire of God. Hallelujah. And when I saw it, I went through it. My God, my God, I saw I will be consumed. The fire began to go through me. And me, anything that was not of God was being consumed, 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 consuming me. I got so afraid in that fire that I immediately began seeking to the Lord to call on the Lord to deliver me. I thought the fire was going to consume me, and it was consuming me. Because our God is all consuming fire. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. His word is not like anything. His word is put through the fire. His followers, his believer, his bride going to be put to the fire also. We're going to be put through the fire. That's why we cannot think much of us, of ourselves, brothers and sisters. Don't think much of yourself. We should not think much of ourselves because in that day, oh, our work. We're going to be pulled through the fire. And in order for us to be genuine, if we are not genuine, in other words, if we are not of God, the fire will consume us. I thank you, Lord. We better be genuine. We better serve God from the heart. We better trust the Lord with all of our heart and not lean unto our own understanding. Trust him. And know that our way, because I'm telling you, when the time to be put through the fire comes, oh, man, there were things I wanted to hold on to when I was being put through the fire. There were things I wanted to hold on to, and I noticed they were being burned, and I tried to stop it, but it became ash and nothing. Oh, God, have mercy on our soul, on our spirit, on our life. Oh, God, have mercy. God, have mercy. As you put us through the fire, oh God have mercy, deliver us, Lord, deliver us, Lord, deliver us, Lord, from our own heart, from being deceived. Satan was in heaven. <laughs> Satan was in heaven. Hallelujah. He probably was hiding from the rest of the angels. But nothing high from the Lord. Oh, I love the Lord. Look what God says to him in Isaiah 14, 13. For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend to heaven. Oh, God. He thought he could escape. Hallelujah. He thought, hallelujah, that no one would see him. Hallelujah. I will restore my throne about the start of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the side of the north. No one else was seeing the devil in his plan, but God who watches all, who knows all, who hears all, who knows everything, was seeing what the devil was thinking in his heart. He wanted to come about. About the mountain. Only God says about the mountain. That's the place of the Most High. That is his place. And God doesn't share his glory with anyone. 
God doesn't share glory with anyone. Thank you, Lord. We need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord more than ever. Our heart needs to, hallelujah, needs to be for God. Satan said in his heart something, hallelujah, that he should have not said. Be careful what you are saying in your heart that is not pleasing to God, that is not of God, that might be against God's people or against God. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Hallelujah. No one after the Lord was closer than the, than, hallelujah, than the devil. He was a sheriff. Sheriffs of the closer. The Lord is the closer than comes a sheriff and the seraphim. But Satan was there, so close to the Father. But when God saw in his heart what he was thinking, immediately came the rebuke. The rebuke came. Hallelujah. Because there is nothing hidden that will not come out to life. Who will only know that by God? Who will only know that by God? What was, what the devil was thinking in his heart. The secret of the heart of Lucifer. And the secret of our heart, only God knows. We need to be careful. What is in our heart, brothers and sisters? We need to be careful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Look what Isaiah said in Isaiah 38.3. And said, remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth. This, is, this was one of the kings. Hallelujah. And I said this. And with a perfect heart, how I done with your good in thy sight. Hezekiah wept sorrowly. This was King Hezekiah. Oh, I love the King Hezekiah. When I read about Hezekiah, I used to cry. I used to cry so much. The, the testing with the king of Assyria, which was the devil himself in the flesh, that God allowed Hezekiah to go through. But it was for Hezekiah also to know how much he loved the Lord. A lot of times we have to go through the hard time in our life. It is now that God wants us to fail. You might be thinking, why is God allowing me to go through this? Do God wants me to fail? No, it's not that God wants you to fail. It's that God wants to bring out from your heart the love that you have for him. It's not that God doesn't trust you. God is not going to give you more than what you can bear. Uh-uh. He's not going to do that to you and I. But God knows what's in your heart. And God wants to bring the hidden things out. God knows the love that you have for him in your heart, but right now it's not showing. Hmm. It is deep in your heart, but the love that you have for the Lord is not showing. It is hidden. It is deep in your heart. No one can see how much you love Jesus. No one can be touched by, by your love to Jesus, for Jesus. No one can unless God brings that love that you have for him out. Out in the open. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God is speaking to someone tonight. Someone needs to hear this word. Someone needs to hear this word. My God, my God. Said Jesus, why the hell thou, how, how, why did thou have forsaken me? God trusted his son. 
he knew how much his son loved him. Him, how much he loved him. That's his beloved son. And in that cross, we see Jesus say, "In thy hand, in thy hand." Oh my God! Oh my God! God is speaking to someone. Hallelujah! Even Jesus has to say, "Hallelujah." Thank you, Lord. I got to look this up. I got to look this up. I thank you, Lord. In thy hand, praise the Lord. We have to trust the Lord. Hallelujah. That was the ultimate, that was the Lord confessing the trust he has in the Father. Because he had to trust all in his hands. It was all in the hands of God. It is all in the hands of God. Listen careful. It is all in the hands of God. We need to trust God. We need to trust the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We need to. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We need to trust the Lord. I know that a lot of us are going through a lot. A lot of a lot of testing. Difficult time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The Lord. Thank you, Lord. But we need to trust the Lord. Hallelujah. We need to trust the Lord. We need to trust Jesus. No matter what we go through, we need to be able to trust the Lord more than anything and more than anyone. It's very important. Hallelujah. Especially. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We need to have a total trust in the Lord. God knows it's difficult for us. God knows the things that we're going through. How much we're suffering, how much pain for it can be. He knows that some has some went through it on the cross. You think it was not painful what he was going through on the cross? You think that nail going through his hand was not painful? You think that those nails and those times, brothers and sisters, and the time of the Lord was not painful when they went through his hand and his feet. All oh, brothers and sisters was very painful. But why did he endure this? Why did he endure those nails going through his hand and his feet? Hallelujah. Why? Praise the Lord, because he trusted God. Hallelujah. He trusted God. He trusted God with such a trust that he knew that God would deliver him. There was no way they can hold him anyway. But that he was showing sure us to trust God no matter what. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That we need have to have a total trust. Listen to this. Luke twenty three forty six. And Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It did not say, it does not say Jesus prayed because he was, he was in suffering. When you are in suffering, crying, when you pray, you cry. Oh, I thank you, Lord. God is speaking to someone. When you are in suffering and you pray, you don't just pray, you cry. 
I thank you, Lord. Listen to what it says. Luke 23, 46. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and heard, brothers and sisters, when they heard, when they heard, you cannot be quiet. You're going to have to open your mouth. You're going to have to cry out to God because it hurt. It hurt. It hurt so much. I thank you, Jesus. It hurt so much. It just hurt so much. He cried with a loud voice and said, Father, into thy hands I command my spirit. And when he, he has said, has said, he gave up the ghost. He trusts God. He trusts the Lord. He delivered himself into God's hands. Jesus says the Holy Spirit. He gave out the ghost. He gave us his spirit into God's hands. He is the spirit. I thank you, Lord. He is the Holy Ghost. He gave himself unto God completely. Father, into thy hands. Into thy hands. Thank you, Lord. I commend my spirit. Here I am, Father. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. That's one of the hardest things that many people have today to say. Some of you are being touched right now by the Lord to say those words from your heart to God. I trust you, Father. I trust you, Lord. Help me to go through what I'm going through, to the painful and difficult situation that I'm going through. Help me to make it through. Help me to come to the other side. Help me to make it in the rapture. Help me to go to heaven where you, Lord, where you come for us. Help me. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. You're going to have to cry out. This, you cannot say it with a quiet mouth. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You're going to have to cry out loud. You're going to have to open your mouth. You're going to have to cry with a loud voice. As Jesus said it. It hurt. It was painful. He didn't care who heard it. He said it with a loud voice. I thank you, Jesus. That's how it feels when we go through a trial and difficult situation in our life. We need to cry out to God. We need to cry out to the Lord. It is not, hallelujah, out of fear. It's out of trust. It's out of trust. Our crying out to God is out of trust because we love him. We want to be with him. We want to come to heaven with him. We want to dwell with him forever. So we are crying out because we want more of God, and we want to be with God. Lord, touch the people that are going through hard and difficult situations right now. Give them your strength. Give them your anointing. Heal their heart. Heal their life. Help them make it to the other side, Lord. Help them to make it to the other side. In Jesus' name I pray. It is the Lord. There is the Lord helping us. There is the help of the Lord available for us, brothers and sisters. He is here for us. He is here for us. His presence is available for us. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. More of God and less of us. More of him and less of us is what we need in these last days. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 
praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. The same spirit that was in Christ is given to us. God said, hallelujah, hallelujah, in Acts 2.17, it should be in the last days of God. I will put out of my spirit upon all flesh. Hallelujah. Look how the Lord said, put out my spirit. What spirit? The spirit he put in God's hand. Now God takes the spirit, God takes the seed that Jesus planted on the cross. <laughs> and he gives it out. He takes the seed that is planted in God, and he multiplies that seed. The fruit of that seed produces so much salvation, so much strength, so much help for other people that God says, after these, after the sacrifice of Jesus, hallelujah, it shall be in the last days of God. I will put out my spirit upon the flesh, yourselves and your daughters to prophesy, your young men to see vision, and your old men to dream, dream. God poured himself on the cross to give us hope, to give us a spirit unto us, brothers and sisters, so we can be more than overcomer in these last days. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. How do we know it's greater? Because he overcame on the cross. He overcame dead Satan and all principality on the cross. It's greater. It's greater. It's greater. He that overcame on the cross it's greater, and it's in you, and it's in I, to overcome. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. We got the greater one in us. The greater one is in us to overcome. Thank you, Lord. And then he continues saying, and I'm my servants, and I'm my handmaids. I will put out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. Prophecy come. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That's why Jesus is the beginning and the end of all prophecy, brothers and sisters. He is. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. God takes what we give him. You give your heart to the Lord. You give your heart to the Lord, God takes it, brothers and sisters, and he does a wonderful thing for your life. Give your heart to Jesus and trust in the Lord, and, hallelujah, and you will see what God is going to do with why you are giving him. Your heart, your life is like a seed. You plant it in God. You put it in the hand of God. You trust the Lord until he comes for us. And watch what the God is going to do with you and I. He is going to make us into a glorious bride. Oh, I thank you, Lord. Not just any bride. A glorious one. A one full of his presence. That's a glorious bride. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. The bride of Jesus. And not to be compared to any bride. The bride of Jesus is a glorious bride. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Psalm 22 a. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him save him. Fear he love him. Amen for that. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 27, 14. Hope in the Lord be strong, and he should come for thy heart and trust in the Lord. That's what Jesus did at the cross. He trusts in the Father. So teach us to trust in God. That's why he did it. Everything Jesus did was to teach us to trust in him, to trust in God, to trust in the Lord. His whole life is a teaching to us. That's why we have to follow his footsteps. Everything he did, we have to do the same. He trusted in God. We need to trust in God also. I thank you, Lord. That's why everything went well for him. That's why he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Because he trusted in God. You want one day to be close to God. As Jesus close to God. Trust in God with all your heart. And do not leave on your own understanding. Thank you, Lord. He will make sure you make it in. God will make sure. Why? Because you're trusting in him. That's why you're trusting in him. Hallelujah. David said in Psalm 31, 6, I have hated them that give themselves to deceitful vanities, for I trust in the Lord. David did not imitate those that trust in vanity. Because he trusted in the Lord. You see the difference? You see the difference when you trust in the Lord? When you trust in the Lord, you're not going to trust in anybody else of what other people are doing or saying. You are trusting in the Lord because the Lord is worthy to be trusted, brothers and sisters. That's why. Why do you trust in the Lord? Because the Lord is perfect. His law is perfect, it's pure. He will not deceive you. He will not mislead you. Oh, I thank you, Lord. David said in Psalm 31, 14, But I trust in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. Oh, man, that's it. He said that God was his, his only, by his God, his only God. That's it. I thank you, Lord. Thou art my God. Hallelujah. Psalm Hallelujah, 31, 24. Listen to this. You want your heart to be established. Listen to this. Oh, gee, that trust in the Lord. Be strong. And he shall establish your heart. Oh, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. This, this speaks to me. The Lord has told me for years now to be strong. And I didn't even know exactly why, specifically why. I understood why, but I didn't specifically by the word. Look what he said. Oh, ye that trust in the Lord, be strong. Why does God want us to be strong? Listen, listen why. And he shall establish your heart. <laughs> God can take a deceitful heart, a heart full of vanity or whatever, and clean it out, polish it, and establish it. Oh, I thank you, Lord. You want, God to, you want God to establish you, establish your heart, establish your life. Hallelujah. Trust in the Lord. Trust only in the Lord. Love people. Help people. Love them. Pray for them. Do all you can. But only trust 
in the Lord. The problem with the majority of people on this earth is that almost everyone is trusting a man. And then when, when they go to church, when they go to these buildings, these meetings, these home buildings, whatever, trusting a man. And when men let them down, oh, they walk away from the gospel. They don't want to hear it no more because they trusted on this woman. They trusted on this man, and they let them down. Oh, God have mercy. So they walk away. They don't want to hear nothing about churches. They'll rebuke you if you say anything. I heard people that say, don't, don't even mention it to me. They don't want you to talk about God around there no more. Because at one time, I, I had a co-worker that was this way. I could not talk to him about the Lord. And in one occasion, I began to talk to him as I prayed for him. And I say, if you don't, if you don't, I said to him, if you don't mind me asking, why don't you want to hear about God anymore? Please, and please don't be offended. Only if you want an answer. If you don't want an answer, it's okay. I remained quiet. He remained quiet. And then he said, there was a man of God, a pastor, many years ago. A little over 20 years, I've been married with my wife. 22 years exactly, he says. We trust him. We trust him with money and with things. And I believe he said he, he stole from them, I think it was, and, and deceived them. He deceived them and stole from them, lied to them. They were so heartbroken, him and his wife, that they, after that, because this man was so trusted in the community, they didn't want to hear about God anymore, brothers and sisters. And I said, but the Lord did not do that to you. That was men. He said, but he, he said he was such a great man of God. He preached the gospel, the word of the time. And we trust him. And, and he did this to us. The value that we had, he took. And again, I said, listen, you need to repent to God for the hate that you have for this man. It was not God that did this to you. It was this man. And I have encountered people of the people that feel this way. Because a man or a woman had lied to them, had deceived them. They don't want to hear about the gospel. They don't want to hear about the Lord anymore. You come to the house knocking, and you want to talk to them about Jesus, they tell you, no, walk away from my property. Don't, don't bring me that to me no more. Brothers and sisters, that's how hurt people are. Lots of people are of the world, brothers and sisters, because they were not taught by the word to trust in the Lord. Psalm 118a, it is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in men. Brothers and sisters, because the problem when they trust in men, men have left them down, men have deceived them, have forsaken them. Now they're heartbroken, and they don't want to hear about God anymore. It was not God that did it, but the devil used it. What happened? It was the devil and his work behind the world of evil. Now the devil blamed God to them, and now they, they believe the devil that it was God. It is better to trust in men. It is better to trust in men. Men, I'm sorry, it is better to trust in the Lord than trust in men. Men will let you down. I warn you from right now. Your leader will let you down. They will, one way or another. But if you trust in the Lord, even when you work with someone, when you love someone, and they lay you down, you can forgive them in the Lord. You can help them. 
Because you're not trusting in them. You're trusting on the Lord. Even if it was someone you say, I trust. Because this is a problem. People put the whole heart in trust to men. And when men leave, hallelujah, break their heart or leave them down, they don't want to serve God anymore. But if you teach people to serve God, no matter what men does to you, you will be willing and you can forgive them because your trust is not a man. Your trust is in the Lord. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. That was thought to be by Jesus. When Jesus came to me, for me to just trust him and listen to him, it was very hard for me. But the Lord worked with me to help me to just trust him, yes, to love people, pray for people, and help people as much as I could. My brothers and sisters, trusting the Lord is the best thing that the Lord could ever taught me, brothers and sisters. Because trusting the Lord, when something goes wrong in my life, I go to the Lord because I trust the Lord. And I know the Lord is going to help me. You see, because I trust the Lord. I know he's not going to leave me or forsake me, as his word says. So I go to him. And he always helped me. Oh, I thank you, Lord. He always helped me because I go to him. I learned to trust in the Lord. So I go to the Lord when I have a problem. When things are going wrong in my life, I go to the Lord. And I know that the Lord is going to help me. Thank you, Jesus. But imagine if I would still be trusting on men. As they have let me down in the past, I have people that have stolen from me great amounts of money. Brothers and sisters. But when, because the Lord has worked with me, for me to trust him in no man, I love people and I can pray for the Lord have mercy on their soul. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can love them. But imagine if I would not learn to just trust the Lord. Oh, my goodness. That's where a lot of people are. Listen to this. Psalm 32.10. Listen carefully. This is gonna, God's going to speak to you through here. Many sorrows, many pain, many suffering, shall come to the wicked. But he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him. Oh, I thank you, Lord. You see, brothers and sisters, many sorrows we're going to have in this life will come to the wicked. We go through painful situations, brothers and sisters. But you know, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him. The Lord will have mercy. The wicked will continue with all the pain and suffering. But those that humble themselves to the Lord, thank you, Lord, and just mercy, mercy, because by grace, by his mercy, we are saved. So we claim by his mercy. We say, Lord, have mercy. And you know what? His mercy endureth forever. It's not, it's not, it's not like it's going to end tomorrow. <laughs> his mercy is not like it's going to end tomorrow or anytime soon. His mercy endure forever. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Not, his mercy is not going to run out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, everything that you and I need to know is in his word. Everything. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen careful. Psalm 118.4. Let them that fear the Lord say that his mercy endure forever. You and I need to say this every day. Why do we need to say? 
that his mercy endureth forever. Repeat it with me. Because that's what the word of God says. Psalm 184. Let them that fear the Lord say, now say, that his mercy endureth forever. Say this with me. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy. Say it with your heart. Say it for your heart. Please say it for your heart. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. Say it. Say it. Say it. Say it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's going to help you. You need to say it. You need to confess it to yourself. You need to hear it. You need to hear it. That God mercy endure forever. That you can always cry out to him. That you can always trust him. That you all can always come to him. And he will deliver you. He will always help you. He will always be there for you. That's the kind of God you and I have for us. That is the kind of God that you and I have. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Psalm 118.29. Praise ye the Lord, because he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Psalm 136.3. Praise ye the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 136.4, which only does great wonder, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136.5, which by the, his wisdom made the heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. I thank you, Lord. Psalm 136.6, which has stretched out the earth upon the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136.7, which made great lives for his mercy endureth forever. What? Psalm 136.8, the sun to rule the day for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, I thank you, Lord. Psalm 136.9, the moon and the stars to govern the night for his mercy endureth forever. I thank you, Lord. Psalm 136.10, which smart ages with their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136.11, brought out Israel from a mountain, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136.12, with a mighty hand, he stretched out his arm, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136.13, which divided the sea into two parts, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, I thank you, Lord. Psalm 136.14, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 136.15, and overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. I thank you, Lord. What Psalm 136.16, which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136.17, which masked the, the great king, for his mercy endureth forever. Psalm 136.18, he slew the mighty king.
for his mercy endureth forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Psalm 136, 21. And gave the heir land for an inheritance, for his mercy endureth forever. If you and I are any time are going to receive something for the Lord, you know why? Because his mercy endureth forever. If you and I are going home in the rapture, you know why? For his mercy endureth forever. If you and I are going to overcome in these last days, you know why? For his mercy endureth forever. It will always, if we're going to the marriage supper to meet the Lord face to face, and we know we're going to, you know why? Because his mercy endureth forever. Thank you, Lord. If we are walking firm, still trusting in the Lord, you know why? Because his mercy endureth forever. It's by his mercy. It's by his grace, brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, that we are serving the Lord. And because he has mercy on us, because his mercy endureth forever. I thank you, Jesus. Mighty Lord, mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for what you said on the cross. It is because your mercy endures forever. He gave us his Holy Ghost because his mercy endures forever. He is with us in these last days. Brothers and sisters, you know why? Because his mercy endures forever. We're going to be more than overcomer. We are more than overcomer. You know why? Because his mercy endures forever. I thank you, Jesus. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord kiss you. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different and have a special prophecy update and as well a communion celebration, one that I've been really looking forward to for quite some time. And we're doing this for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that August promises to be, Lord willing, of course, a very exciting month with all that is happening and all that is planned. I'm hoping you'll kindly allow me to share with you what's coming up in the days and weeks ahead. I think what you'll find is that everything that we're going to talk about today ties in together uh, prophetically and even significantly. But before we do, if you would join with me and let's pray and we'll ask God's blessing on our time together today. Loving Heavenly Father, will you at this time settle our hearts and by the Holy Spirit focus our attention upon you and you alone and that which you would desire to minister to us today in our time together? Lord, would you disallow any distraction or disturbance or disruption, anything that would keep us from that which you have for us? Lord, will you speak in that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit? Please, your servants are listening. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. First, I want to 
answer several questions that we've had both locally here and also from our online church globally as well. Specifically, questions about Amir Sarfati uh, speaking when he's here. We've had a number of people call in from really all over the world uh, asking when he's going to be here and what the times are and so forth. So uh, we're going to answer that. We're also going to answer a number of questions that we've had about the status of our new church building, which again sort of ties in. We continue to be overwhelmed by the generosity and financial support of God's people, and we want to kind of apprise you of what the current status is as it relates to our building. Uh, also, several people asked why Thursday night's teaching wasn't posted on YouTube, and that's because we didn't have a Thursday night teaching to post on YouTube. And the reason we didn't have a Thursday night teaching to post on YouTube is because uh, the SDA church that we rent here uh, had their vacation Bible school, and as such, we were not able to use the sanctuary for our uh, midweek Bible study. By the way, uh, this is yet another amongst many reasons as to why I'm so excited to get into our own building for the first time in 12 years since I planted this church because we can do church anytime we want. <laughs> All day, every day, if we want. So that answers that question. Uh, actually, <clears throat> I made the decision on Friday to devote the entirety of our time together today uh, talking about what I am so excited about. And uh, we're going to, Lord willing, resume our uh, teaching in Second Corinthians, through Second Corinthians, expositionally on what will be Sunday, uh, August the 14th. And then we'll also resume our Thursday night uh, teaching through the Old Testament where we're in uh, First Chronicles. And we'll begin that on uh, a week from this uh, Thursday. Uh, also, I uh, made the decision to celebrate communion today instead of next Sunday because uh, that's when we would usually do it, but Amir's going to be here, and I don't want to uh, take away from his time. We're going to try to maximize uh, his time while he's here. He has given us ex exclusivity in the sense that he turned down numerous other speaking uh, uh, times at other churches and he's only going to be here and I get him all to myself <laughs> and I'm going to share him with you and um, but anyway I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that here in a moment I'm hoping you'll soon see that everything I'm going to share today again is woven together in the fabric of Bible prophecy let me uh, also mention this upcoming conference at Calvary Chapel Honolulu this is going to be from Friday, August 19th through Sunday, the 21st. I have the privilege of being one of the speakers at this year's conference. And uh, it's very important to understand and note that anyone can attend. Uh, it is a pastors, church workers, leaders conference, as it were, but it's open to anybody. But you really need to register online at Calvary Chapel, Honolulu's website. This year's speakers are just, I mean, off the charts. That's what I always appreciate about Pastor Bill. He really 
prayerfully considers who it is that he's going to have come from the mainland. And this year, we're going to have Raul Reese, Tony Clark, Jim Orate, Ken Graves, Ed Taylor, Mark Beauvais, David Zamora, Sean Hausman. Also locally, we're going to have both Pastor Bill and Bud Stonebreaker, Daryl Skinner, Steve Rex, Steve Santos, these are from the other islands, and then Lloyd Pulley, who is from the East Coast. And actually, we are privileged to have Pastor Lloyd Pulley here on the 21st Sunday uh, morning for both of our services speaking, so really looking forward to that. As for Amir's speaking schedule, here's the drill. He will be speaking this Thursday night, 7 o'clock, and then again on Sunday, uh, that's next Sunday, the uh, 7th of August, for both of our morning services. Keep in mind, I, it's been, well, maybe I should give you a little bit of the backstory here. I have been wanting to get Amir here for years. That all kind of rhymes, doesn't it? <laughs> for years, I've been trying to get Amir here. And at last year's conference at Calvary Honolulu, uh, I asked Pastor Jack Hibbs uh, about Amir and said, hey, can you put me in contact with Amir because I'd love to have him, you know, come. And so he gave me his number, gave Amir my number. We connected and that started the process. This is a year ago. So it has taken me a year to get Amir here. That's even better, isn't it? <laughs> so now here's the thing. Other than and in addition to the Thursday night and Sunday morning, this Saturday, and this is very important, it's August 6th at 11 a.m. Hawaii time for the benefit of our online church, both Amir and I are going to do a Facebook Live prophecy interview that for those of you familiar with Facebook Live, uh, you know that you can actually interact uh, in real time by logging on to uh, Facebook and going to Facebook Live or going to Amir's Facebook or my Facebook and you can watch this whatever time zone you're in you can watch this prophecy uh, interview and interact in real time I would encourage you to follow Amir on Facebook and Twitter as I do he also has a Behold Israel app that you can download and I would really encourage you to subscribe to his YouTube channel if you haven't already. Uh, to answer another question, yes, absolutely, we will be uploading all the teachings and interviews on both of our YouTube channels as well as linking them to both uh, Facebook and Twitter, both his Facebook and mine and both his Twitter and mine as well. I hope you know that I have put a lot of thought and a lot of prayer into what I want to talk to Amir about. And some of the things that we're going to discuss are as follows. Ezekiel 38, specifically as it relates to the stunning developments in Turkey as of late and how that all fits in. Uh, Russia's role. Of course, Iran. You have to understand that uh, Amir is from Israel. He lives in Israel. And this is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, this is 
my Jewish brother in Christ from Israel, and I'm his Arab brother in Christ. We have a peace agreement right there between the Arabs and the Jews, right? Well, there's no distinction or delineation in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor Arab nor Chinese nor Japanese nor whatever. You can fill in the blank. But um, he has tremendous insight. And for those of you who are familiar with him, uh, I know that you know what uh, you're uh, in for and the treat that you're uh, in for. We're also going to talk about Psalm 83. Amir has a really interesting take on Psalm 83. I also want to discuss with him the prophecy in Zechariah 12 concerning Jerusalem and the whole demonic push now for a so-called two-state solution, which I believe is Hitler's final solution repackaged with different wrapping paper. We're also going to talk about Isaiah 17 with respect to Syria and then also Isaiah 19, very exciting, uh, with respect to Egypt. Um, one, one more thing I want to mention. When, when Amir does a tour in Israel, people actually try to find out his itinerary so that they can go to the site just to hear him teach. That's, this, this guy is, I mean, um, he's probably going to get mad at me for setting him up like this because, <laughs> I mean, he is just so gifted and so blessed and has so much insight. And actually, we're also uh, going to discuss the possibility of a prophecy tour in Israel with Amir. Now, Lord willing, this is in, and if the Lord delays his coming or doesn't return by then, which would be fine if he did, by the way, but in 2018, uh, I would like to uh, plan on an Israel tour with Amir, a prophecy tour, and we've had, again, a lot of people ask us. In fact, we probably get on average about three uh, uh, emails a week from people all over the world wanting to know when we're going to go to Israel again. And I have to just tell them that until we get into our building, we're not going into, we're not going into Jerusalem or into Israel. So until then. So uh, also I want to mention, you see it there on the screen, Amir has his own prophecy tour, and he'll talk about it when he's here. It's scheduled for next year from September 3rd through September the 11th. And uh, again, I just mentioned this because uh, we are planning to go to Israel, and for the benefit of our online church, it is, Lord willing, maybe uh, for 2018. Uh, this is one of the reasons that Amir and I are going to do this Facebook Live prophecy interview uh, at our property uh, this Saturday. You'll forgive the metaphor, but I'm hoping to kill two birds with one stone. I know Arabs shouldn't talk about killing. It's a bad metaphor, but whatever. Uh, also, I want to uh, talk about something that I had mentioned last Sunday, namely that of my years-long dream and vision of having a what I call Super Bowl of Prophecy Conferences in our newly renovated church building. Uh, I have for many years desired to bring in some of the best Bible prophecy teachers in the world today 
all under one roof and have this prophecy conference. And so uh, that is kind of the, if you will, the method behind the madness of wanting to do this this way. By the way, pictured here is uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs' prophecy conference at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and it's going to be uh, August 14th and 15th. You might be able to go online or uh, acquire the DVDs of this prophecy conference. In fact, this is where Amir is going. He's speaking also all over uh, once he leaves here. I, I think we're his first stop, so pretty special. But anyway, uh, Amir is also going to be speaking at Jan Markell's Understanding the Times Conference on October 15th of this year, later this uh, fall. So you might want to, you can go to uh, Amir's website or, and blog and find all of the uh, dates and everything. So I suppose Saturday's prophecy interview is a preview of sorts by virtue of the fact that Amir is at the top of my list for speakers for this prophecy conference. In addition to being a preview of what's to come, it will also be an overview of the renovation work that's still needed to occupy our building. The last time I uh, did a building update was two months ago, a little over two months ago, back in uh, May. And so after praying and fasting, I really sensed that this would be the time to uh, revisit where we're at and how much more work we need to do. Uh, in order to get into our building. Let me first say that, and this is really important, and please, we've had a lot of people ask us about this. What are you doing, you know, buying a building and buying a property and renovating this, this building? And, well, the fact of the matter is the whole process began in July of 2014 when I received a call from the pastor of this church who informed me that they would not be renewing our lease. And so we really had no choice but to start hitting the streets and looking for a new place and a property. And we were saving money in anticipation of doing this, and we were looking for a place of our own, not aggressively, but once we got the call, we knew we had to uh, get moving. So. When we did, we never really set out to purchase a property of this size. Uh, that was not our intent. In fact, we actually just tried to buy the one parcel that had the building that sat vacant for many, many years on it, but the sellers would not sell just the one parcel with the building. It was an all-or-nothing proposition, so we had to buy all four uh, parcels. And as the Lord would have it, in December of 2014, we purchased and closed on 3.1 acres of land with a 13,000 square foot two-story building that we've actually added square footage to. I want to show you a picture just to kind of give you an idea of what the inside of this building looked like uh, at the time that we purchased it. And I only share it because it's important to understand all that we've done up to this point. This was, and still is, really, the only building of its kind on the windward side. Uh, one of the things that I've uh, uh, often thought to myself, especially when I go to the mainland and I see all these shuttered box stores, 
uh, after I weep bitterly because <laughs> that doesn't exist here in Hawaii. If, oh, if I could just pick that thing up and put it over here on the windward side of Oahu, that would be great. I mean, th- this kind of a property does not exist on the windward side of Oahu, and many had been trying to buy it, but the Lord in his grace enabled us to purchase it for what we believe is for such a time as this. The building was vacant for many, many years, and it was in a state of horrid, and I mean horrid, disrepair. People were living in it. There were drug dealers. There was all kinds of things going on there, and they were inside that building, and it was just virtually uninhabitable. And actually, we bought it as is, where is. We knew what we were getting into. And, um, and we also knew, <laughs> if all of that weren't bad enough, that they had already stolen all of the electrical wire. They had stolen the AC units. They had stole the plumbing fixtures and everything and anything that had any value. So this was a shell of a building that required an enormous amount of demolition and subsequent renovation. This is what it looks like today. And these are the two words that I I love, my favorite two words, but God, but God. I was thinking about this this morning. In fact, I kind of added this uh, part to what I had planned to share with you today. But he did with this building, think about this, he did and is doing with this building what he does with us. I like how one said it. God takes us from the guttermost to the uttermost. And only God can do that kind of a transformation work. And I see this building as sort of a, an analogy, as it were, as to how it is that this is what God does. I mean, this is our lives before Christ, <laughs> and this is our lives in Christ. And faithful is he who began that work in us to complete it. Now, that's not to say that we have not had uh, spiritual warfare from the enemy. In fact, I'll I'll take it a step further and say this. (laughs) The spiritual attack from the enemy has been the likes of which I have never experienced in all of my life. And I've been walking with the Lord for 34 plus years now. We have numerous Sanballats and Tobias who are like Nehemiah attempting to stop this, the Lord's rebuilding work. The enemy does not want us there. He does not want us bringing light into that area. He does not want a church there. And he has unleashed all of the demonic powers and wickedness in high places to do everything to try to thwart this and stop this uh, work. Actually, we've been dealing with this warfare for well nigh two years now. It has been brutal. Uh, I was uh, sharing with somebody the other day that this is why pastors don't do building projects, by the way, (laughs) just so you know. (laughs) There's a reason, right? Uh, 
Um, it's not for wimps. It's not for the faint at heart. And I have to confess uh, that this has been one of the most humbling things. God has used this project to humble me in my pride. And uh, yes, I have pride. And yes, so do you. <laughs> but um, I, I just, one of the things the Lord has done through this whole process is to show me just how how much pride still takes up residence in my Christian life. And he's put his finger on those areas of, of pride and self-reliance. And he has brought me to the end of myself. And that's a good thing uh, by way of a personal application of that proverb that says, uh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Well, here's, this is how I've personally applied it. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord before he does it for you <laughs> instead of you. And that's kind of what he did to me. <laughs> Maybe you can relate. Um, but it's been two years, and it took us one full year when it didn't have to. One full year to get our permit. We closed in December of 2014. We got our permit December of 2015. Now, here's why I mention that. We're still having difficulties obtaining our revised permit because we made some changes and uh, we've added new square footage. We've added entryways. We've added numerous windows. We built and added an entire equipment platform for the AC. So you have this whole mezzanine. And by the way, the AC, I was thinking about this this morning too. I was just praising God. Uh, some of the AC is going in and it, some of, a lot of it's independent units, which is a huge cost savings. We're not paying for AC that we're not using. In other words, we can have separate parts of the building AC at a time. So this morning as I was <clears throat> driving here and had my AC on in the car full blast, I still have these uh, sweat spots on my shirt. And so when I get here in our prayer meeting today, I mean, I just, my shirt was, you know, lit, literally dripping from sweat. And I was thinking to myself, you know, when we get into our building, I won't have to worry about that. In fact, during worship, I can raise my hands as high as I want and not have to worry about anything going on down here. Do you feel my pain? <laughs> We're going to have AC. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we really need, and I'm, I'm just going to humbly ask that you pray as the Lord brings it to your mind and puts it on your heart. Pray very specifically that this issue we're having with our revised permit is resolved. How do I say this? This single issue concerning the permit is so serious, it could be a deal breaker. That's how serious it is. And only God, as he's always so faithful to, is able to resolve this. If Just, just to give you an idea, it, this could cost us literally tens upon tens of thousands of dollars of God's money unnecessarily. That's how serious it is. And so we're just really asking you to pray for this whole permit problem. 
Uh, we also really covet your prayers concerning the finances to complete the project. And I want to talk about that more in just a moment. By the way, for those of you who are visiting, uh, I appreciate your patience with us. This is, in, in some ways, family business. Same thing online if you're watching this video. Uh, thank you for your patience. I do want to talk about the prophetic significance of all of this, even the prophetic significance of our uh, building. Um, we really need, uh, though, prayer concerning the finances to complete the project. And I, I want you to know that we're on the home stretch. And this is by the grace of God. The worst is over. <laughs> the worst is over. We are on the home stretch. And were we to have the funds and were God to resolve this permit problem, we could, Lord willing, start having our services as early as October, and that is before the elections. And that is important, and I want to uh, explain why. If I could be so candid, this is probably one of the main factors, if not the main factor, in wanting to complete this project by October prior to the presidential election in November because I believe, I don't want to, I don't want you to misunderstand me here, but, and I think you would agree with this, anything could happen. Anything could happen not only in November, but certainly anything can happen before November. And that's one of the reasons, the main reasons why I think God has brought us this far and with the potential of being in the building as early as October. I'm even more convinced of this <clears throat> after enduring, and I use that word specifically, <laughs> enduring both the Republican and Democratic national conventions over the last couple of weeks. I shared last week about how my blood pressure was unusually low, so I decided to watch the conventions to get it kind of back up there, and it worked. It really worked. But lest you think I'm being political and even partisan, let me hasten to say that both conventions were very telling prophetically. First, at the Republican convention, we were subjected to what I see as the makings of a one-world religion, a new world order. And it was evidenced by, at the Republican National Convention, both a Muslim and a Sikh praying. A Muslim and a Sikh praying. What God are they praying to? What God, pray tell, are the Christians in that convention agreeing in prayer to? To which God are they saying amen to? I, I, it was very interesting. I actually had my TVs on when this was all going down. <laughs> and I watched this Muslim man get up, and he didn't, and this is deliberate, did not use the name Allah. He used the name, the title, God. God. Did not use Allah. And that is very deliberate for what I 
think would be deemed obvious reasons. And listen, I realize that some could see this as being inconsequential, but I see it otherwise. This is very subtle. This is very subtle. And this was at the Republican convention. Then, to add insult to injury, on the first day of the Democrats' convention, there was no American flag anywhere. Not even one. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. There were some American flags outside of the convention hall. Oh, but they weren't flying them. They were burning them. They were burning them. They were burning outside of the Democrats' convention the flag of the United States of America. And inside the hall, one flag, the only flag, is a Palestinian flag. You might remember, I told you my blood pressure would go up, but you might remember in 2012 what they did at the Democratic convention platform. They removed God and Jerusalem from their platform. Oh, September 6th. I, I actually looked it up before I got here this morning. September 6th, 2012 was the Democrats' national convention. Go back and see what happened. It was a huge event. They removed God and Israel from their platform. Ooh, <laughs> big boo-boo, big boo-boo. So no wonder, it should come as no surprise, that this is a flag that is raised inside the convention hall, only to have the U.S. flag burned outside the convention hall. Let me calm down just for a moment and then we'll move on. Speaking of flags, this might be a good time for some levity, and I plan this, thank God. But I happened upon a very humorous quip that I'd like to share with you. It goes like this. I took down my rebel flag, which you cannot buy on eBay anymore, and peeled the NRA sticker off my rear car window. I disconnected my home alarm system and quit the lame neighborhood watch. I bought two Pakistani flags and put one at each corner of the front yard. Then I purchased the black flag of ISIS, which you can buy on eBay, and ran it up the flagpole. Now, the local police, sheriff, FBI, CIA, NSA, Homeland Security, Secret Service, and other agencies are all watching my house 24-7. <laughs> I have never felt safer. And, and, I'm saving $69.95 a month that the alarm company used to charge me. Plus, plus, it gets better. I bought burkas for both my wife and myself. Yeah. To wear when we shop or travel. <laughs> Everyone moves out of the way. And security can't pat us down. <laughs> 
If they say, I'm a male wearing a burqa, I just say, I'm feeling like a woman today. <laughs> Safe at last. Ain't America great? Speaking of America being great, if you were to ask me what I see as the greatest concern for us here in America as it relates to America being great or being great again, it's that America seems to already be under God's judgment. Now please, I in no way wish to assert that revival is impossible, but I would be grossly remiss if I didn't say that it would appear to be highly improbable. With all due respect to Donald Trump's slogan of Make America Great Again, personally, I just can't get there. From what I read in Scripture, I cannot get there where America is great again. Now think this through with me. Even if it were to happen that Trump is elected president, it doesn't seem probable that America can ever be great again by virtue of America's absence from the pages of Bible prophecy. Now please, I know that there are those who believe that America is in Bible prophecy. Can we just add this to the list of things to agree, to disagree agreeably on? Let's agree to disagree agreeably. It is certainly not a salvation issue. Let's not make it rise to that level. I do not see the United States of America in Bible prophecy. Am I suggesting that Hillary Clinton should be president? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Ooh, pastor. Whatever. <laughs> However, <laughs> if she were, wouldn't it explain a lot? Wouldn't it explain a lot? What do you mean? Well, Clinton's policies are such that it would swiftly further the New World Order agenda of, and you've heard this expression, it takes a village to raise a child. I want to recommend a, a video documentary. It's called Agenda 2, Masters of Deceit. It's by Curtis Bowers. Uh, many years ago, I recommended Agenda 1, the first agenda documentary, The Grinding Down of America. Curtis Bowers thoroughly documents this agenda, not conspiracy agenda, big difference, from the beginning of the last century to today and explains in powerful detail where this all came from and how this all came about. Now, I have to say that if you watch the documentary, it has the propensity to be terrifying. And I would just encourage you to keep one thing in mind, and that is that God has allowed this to happen, to this, the once greatest and most blessed nation on the face of the earth. And by the way, I truly believe that we are basking in the glory 
of the residual blessing of God on this nation. We are enjoying that as we speak, but when the rapture happens, all hell will break loose because the restrainer will be removed. And that's what the Apostle Paul said to the uh, church in Thessalonica. Let me keep moving here. Um, I'm going to tackle this because I get asked this question uh, quite a bit with respect to who's elected president in this year's election. And I just say this, what difference at this point does it make? (laughs) You'll forgive my sanctified sarcasm, but God is still on the throne. Never imagine for even a second that any of this escapes the notice of Almighty God. He sees it, He allows it, and none of this could happen unless He did. It's God who sets up and also removes kings. Oh, well then, that's my question. If that's the case, then why should we bother to vote at all? I have talked to so many people who say, I'm not going to vote. You just voted. You voted not to vote. So, I don't want to get off track here, but I vote, and I'll tell you why I vote. Not only is it a right and a privilege, but it is also a responsibility, and I'll explain why I say that. I am personally of the belief that voting is a responsibility because of our accountability before the God will one day answer to. I have voted in every election, and I do so because I know that whether or not the candidate I vote for is elected, they are still in the final analysis the one that God has appointed in the end. Now that might jam some of your gears. And I know Romans 13 is a, uh, a big issue for some, where we're told to obey the authorities. Well, that's only if obeying the authorities, the governing authorities, is not diametrically opposed to God's laws. I will never obey man like in Acts when the apostles said, we'll never obey man if it means we're, we have to disobey God. And that is a qualifier, if you will, for Romans 13. But in verse 1, it also tells us that there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. What? You mean God appoints these evil leaders? Yeah. Daniel 2, verse 21, says that it's God who removes kings and raises up kings. Okay, now this begs the question of if it's God who appoints and raises up rulers, then why do evil men rule? Ah, the answer is found in John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 11. Jesus is standing before Pilate and listen to what he says to him. You 
would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. In other words, God will allow evil men to rule. He will give them the power to rule as evil as is their rule when it serves His purpose. Sometimes He will allow evil rulers to reign. He will appoint them, allow them, because it's for His judgment. His judgment. And it's always for our good, those of us that are called according to His purpose. And it's always for His glory. It's always for His glory. The devil is God's devil. Never make the devil the opposite of God. The devil is not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. He is a created being. And God asked Job about this. I can't wait to ask Job when we get to heaven, you know? Dude, what was that like, man? I mean, you know, Satan asks for permission, and then God says, yes, <laughs> go ahead, just destroy his life. You know, because it was a test. God knew he would not curse him. But Satan could not touch even one hair on Job's head unless God allowed it. And God allowed it because in the end it would serve his purpose and be for his glory. Oftentimes I'm asked if I believe elections are rigged. Right? Oh, you've been asked that too. <laughs> Maybe you think that and believe that. Well, there is some merit to that, that there are those secret societies, the powers to be that already predetermine who's going to be the president and who's not going to be the president. But again, never imagine God in heaven going, what? Who, who got elected? Are you Gabriel, Michael, get over here. What's going on here? How did this happen? I know that's silly, but you get the point, right? God is still on the throne. Oh, by the way, in the Psalms it says, God laughs at them because He knows their day is coming. I've asked for front row seats for that. I'd love to see that. Wouldn't that be something? I want to be there when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that the Jesus they blasphemed is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's what keeps me sane. I know I've shared that before. Here's my answer to, oh, it's, it's all rigged. It's all theater. It, it doesn't matter. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. Listen. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God. I love those two words. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. What's the point? Even if it is rigged, rigged or not, God is both allowing it and, perhaps more importantly, controlling it. And that's Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water. 
He turns it wherever he wishes. Think about that. These evil rulers and leaders and authorities, God controls their every move. They don't do anything unless God allows it, and God will never allow it unless it serves his purpose in the end. Okay. By now you probably figured out that I'm trying to answer all of these questions that are often asked specifically as it relates to their prophetic significance and even more specifically how everything fits with and is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, particularly as it relates to the rapture, which has to be before the seven-year tribulation. Now, hear me out. I say that because this is probably one of the more often asked questions I get, and it goes something like this. Why plan so far ahead if the rapture is so close? We've had numerous people post comments asking the question more specifically, why renovate a building if you really believe the rapture can happen at any time? Well, I answered this in part back on May 22nd, more in depth on June 19th, so I'm going to provide you with a few brief thoughts if you can just bear with me. I do so because it's going to be germane to our understanding of what our posture as Christians should be in these last moments of world history as we know it. How then ought we to live? And not just individually as a Christian, but collectively as a church. First, I believe God desires to sort of push us out of our comfortable eagle's nests, if you will, so that we'll live by faith in these last days. Have you ever... Uh, heard about how an eagle will teach their eaglets. Is that how these eaglets? Their little eagles, their baby eagles. Am I good so far? In Arabic, it's eaglets. Okay. So, um, you know how they teach them to fly? Oh, it's seemingly cruel. Here's baby eaglet just so comfortable in the nest and, you know, mommy eagles feeding baby eagle and doesn't have to basically lift a finger if eagles had fingers. And so just really comfortable in the nest. But there's going to come that day when mommy eagle is going to take baby eagle and push baby eagle out of the nest and baby eagle starts to fall. And right before Baby Eagle is about to hit and splat on the ground, Mommy Eagle swoops up Baby Eagle, takes Baby Eagle back up to the nest, and Baby Eagle is probably thinking, you're trying to kill me. <laughs> I didn't think eagles killed their own and <laughs> ate their own. What are, you, what are you doing? Well, this process continues repeatedly. Every time Baby Eagle is pushed out of the nest, falls, Mommy eagle comes, swoops up baby eagle, takes baby eagle back to the nest, pushes baby eagle back out of the nest, and then there does come that time when mommy eagle no longer has to swoop up baby eagle because baby eagle learns to fly. 
That's what God does with us. Sometimes we think, God, what are you doing? <laughs> i got to confess when I got the call. I mean, I'm so comfortable. We've been here for, at the time, about 10-plus years. We didn't have big mortgage payments. We didn't have AC, but we didn't have big mortgage payments. <laughs> I mean, we were really comfortable. We were doing well. God was blessing and adding the church to the church. And I get this call, and I'm like, God, what are you doing? Oh, I'm pushing you out of the nest so you can fly. I don't want to fly. I like it here in the nest. It's comfortable. The rent's low. I don't want that big payment. <laughs> no, I'm going to teach you how to fly by faith. By faith. Don't, don't worry. I won't let you splat. <laughs> Sometimes you think God's going to do This is how it ends. This is how it ends. I'm going to boom. That's it. And it's over. But God will never let that happen. And that's one of the things that God did with us as a church collectively has been doing with me as a Christian individually. Oftentimes, as stewards of God's money, we get way too comfortable by placing our trust and security in our financial resources. And I have to say that as a church, we were becoming increasingly uncomfortable with our savings of God's money sitting in a bank earning zero point nothing percent interest. <laughs> and not only was it doing absolutely nothing to further the kingdom of God, it was also vulnerable to great uncertainty economically. A number of years ago, I mentioned to the board that we really need to consider investing in real property. Because this money is vulnerable. And the truth of the matter is, savings in a bank account can evaporate overnight were something to happen. And with real property, that's just not the case. And it's for this reason that we saw the acquisition of this property and the subsequent and ongoing renovation of the existing building as a stewardship matter. This was a matter of stewardship. I think of the parable of the talents that Jesus taught in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. You know about the one that buried the talent out of fear? And I shudder to think that we would ever be like that unfaithful steward. Furthermore, to the question of what are you doing if the rapture is so close? Well, whatever happened to occupy till I come? I have sought as a Christian to live my life as if the rapture could happen today as I would if the rapture wasn't years from today. I want to always be ready, always be watching. We know not the day or the hour that our Lord is going to come. And we're to occupy until he comes. And we're literally going to occupy a building until he comes and we're going to use it for his kingdom in these last days. And, and here's the thing, and I shared this a while back. Um, how do you know what God is going to do with this building after the rapture? Think about that. Think about that. This is God's building. This is God's property. This is God's church. And God is fully able to do with this property as he pleases, even during the seven-year tribulation. It will stand as a testimony to the goodness of 
and the glory of God. All those subcontractors that we're witnessing to, one of which we believe is going to come to Christ, all of the people that drive by and call us and go, well, that's your guys' church. How'd you guys buy that? <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't know. God did it. It was the Lord, you know. It's already doing that. Well, this brings up another question that I'm asked about, and that is, what if there's some catastrophic event that takes place prior to the rapture? Should we be preppers? Well, yes and no. I am a prepper. I'm not prepping for the seven-year tribulation. I am prepping for the rapture before the seven-year tribulation. But the answer I give is twofold, and both come from the Gospel of Matthew, the first of which is from the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. And I want you to really stay with me on this because it's very important. There's a lot of misunderstanding about Matthew 24. Jesus describes a scenario where it's business as usual right up to the rapture with people buying, selling, and getting married. That's why I don't think there's going to be a catastrophic event on a global scale prior to the rapture. Because that certainly wouldn't fit this description that Jesus gives of business as usual. If there was a catastrophic event, people aren't getting married. People aren't buying and selling and building and renovating buildings on Cam Highway in Kaaba and like that. Now, I am keenly aware that there are those who contend that Jesus is not talking about the church anywhere in Matthew 24. Okay? Again, this is something that we need to add to the list to agree to disagree agreeably on. Here's why. I believe the church is mentioned in Matthew 24. And here's how I get there. In verses 1 through 14 of Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of the nations. Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In verses 15 through 36, Jesus speaks of the Jews, talking about their flight from Jerusalem. In verses 37 through 42, though, Jesus speaks of the church. You don't agree? Fine. You want to unsubscribe? Sorry you feel that way. But that's the truth. That's the correct and proper interpretation of Matthew 24. The second reason I believe that there will not be a catastrophic event on a global scale prior to the rapture, and even if there was, that we have nothing to fear, is because of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 19 through 34. This is where Jesus promises that our Heavenly Father will take care of us no matter what. If he takes care of that bird in the air, the flower in the field, how much more will he take care of us? We never are to worry because of our Heavenly Father. This is echoed in Psalm 37, verses 25 and 26. It says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor, listen, his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. In other words, as a child of God, as a child of God, as a believer in and follower of Jesus Christ, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. You will never, as his child, Ever beg bread. Okay. Simply put, this is what we're doing as a church. And also, this is what we're not doing. And I'll explain what I mean. 
as a church, we're laying up treasures in heaven where moth, rust, and the government cannot break in and steal. Like Jesus said in Matthew. That's what we are doing. This is what we are not doing. Begging. Please hear me. Please. And I appreciate your patience with me. I want to just pour out my heart to you. We are never going to beg for money. We know by faith that God will provide. However, while we don't want to beg, we do need to ask. James says, you have not because you ask not. We're not begging. We are asking. And I mentioned at the beginning that we could be in this building by October 1st, which, Lord willing, will be before the November election. And I think, think you understand why. But do you realize that's only 60 days away? 60 days away. And by the way, it's really hot, and we'll have air conditioning, and yeah, soft chairs instead of these hard pews for when your pastor keeps going and going and going. What follows, to borrow a football metaphor, are the goalposts by way of the financial support that we need in order to get into the end zone. As I go through this, I want to, and I'm going to do it quickly, I want to point out the amazing progress that we've made in just the last two months since our last update, actually even from February when we really started gaining some momentum. Now, please keep in mind, as you see all of these photos, that by the grace of God, we were able to pay cash out of pocket with funds available on hand without borrowing even a penny. A penny. And we were able to do all of this. And thanks to you, the reason is because of your generosity as God's people who see this as God's church. And again, I want to just parenthetically say, if you're visiting, this is kind of family business. Please, we appreciate your patience. Please pray for us. And I hope you're excited about what the Lord has for us. We've got a beautiful church building that by the grace of God, Lord willing, we're going to be able to occupy until he comes. But I want you to know that the biggest expenses, and I'm talking six-figure expenses, have already been bought and paid for, which is why we're so close to completing the project. Pictured here is the entirely redesigned front entrance. I am going to show you a couple of before pictures. When we have our grand opening celebration service in our new building, Lord willing, I always preface with Lord willing, because James, you know, I know James really well. <laughs> I've gotten spanked by James quite a lot. But Lord willing, I cannot wait to show you. They are dramatic. They are traumatic. <laughs> the before pictures and the after pictures when this is all done. But we've completely redesigned the front with planters, a ramp, two ramps, completely new, brand new entrance and seating area. All of that, even the windows are all new. We're never there to begin with. 
We have completely redone the entire exterior and front entrance with new glass, new doors, new windows, new roof, all new painting of the exterior, and that's just a few, mentioning just a few. This is a view of the front entrance. Don't worry, we're going to take care of those poles, but this is all brand new, and we're going to have beautiful planters out there and a beautiful seating area overlooking our beautiful grass and lawn on lot four where we're going to have, uh, you know, outreaches and uh, I want to build a conference center and uh, that, that's if the Lord really doesn't come back. But I just, this is endless with uh, possibilities. Um, this is a, a view of the new entrance that we put in. This was just a wall. This is a new glass door to the front seating area. This is looking from inside where the kitchen is going to be at both of the front entrances. And this is also a picture of the main uh, front entrance. only used to have one door. We redesigned it, moved it out, create more room, less of a bottleneck. We've got two uh, doors there to enter. This is a uh, view of the inside of the sanctuary as of today. This is a beautiful... You know, it's really interesting. I, I think I mentioned this. Uh, but they thought, Norico's, when they built this, that they were building a tourist store for Japanese tourists. What they didn't realize was they were building a church for us. As we got into the demo, we started realizing, oh my goodness, we tore out that ceiling. Well, let me show you the... Again, I'm, this is not photoshopped, okay? This is what it looked like. You almost couldn't breathe in there. It was so horrible. And all of the, as we started doing all of the demo work, we started realizing this is a perfect building for a church. You think God kind of knew? <laughs> God who knows the end from the beginning? But I just want to give you an idea of the scale of the work that's already been done and paid for. No, no debt. Debt free. This picture is kind of dramatic. On the left, of course, is what it looked like before. And that's looking at what is now on the right going to be our stage. And look at that ceiling. It's like an amphitheater. It's like one likened it to the Waikiki shell <laughs> indoors. It's perfect acoustically and aesthetically. And here's another view of the back of the sanctuary, which we estimate, by the way, that we can seat up to 350 people, which we're not going to need. Initially, I'm asked the question about, are you just going to go back to one service? Well, you have no idea how I would love to go back to one service. <laughs> but I don't know yet. Uh, we're uh, still considering that. Uh, this is looking at the stage from the cry room side of the sanctuary. And this is in the opposite direction, looking from the stage. And this is at the front of the stage where I'll actually be standing looking back towards the sound booth. This is the inside of the sound booth. I'll move real quickly. Appreciate your patience. Um, this is, oh, ladies, I was telling the uh, ladies in a, a prayer meeting this morning um, that I couldn't take just one picture of the huge women's restroom, 12 stalls. Uh, so I had to take three pictures to get all, all of it. This is one picture of the women's bathroom. This is the other side 
of the women's restroom. And this is the other side of the other side of the women's restroom. Now, conspicuously absent from my photo lineup are any photos of the men's restroom. <laughs> um, that's because it's the outhouse that's outside on the... Nah. We have a restroom. There just wasn't any light on in there, and it would have only taken one frame anyway. So uh, there you go, uh, ladies. So this is the... Now, this is a... I'm not a very good photographer, so... This is the fellowship hall in the kitchen. It looks narrow. It's not. And the door is uh, blocked off, and we get the new glass door in there. It's just going to brighten it up, kind of like this. This is the upstairs, second-floor children's ministry uh, classrooms. And it's all done, painted. All that has to uh, go in now is the ceiling, even the AC. This is on the inside of one of the classrooms. Uh, they have to put in the... They've already started the ceiling. The AC's in, and of course the uh, flooring, and it's done. It's, that's how close we are. That's how close we are. This is the uh, uh, same with the youth rooms. We have t basically two youth rooms. Man, the youth are going to have it too good. I don't know what we're going to do about that, but um, we'll figure it out. So uh, beautiful. They have the best view. We cut in two windows. They have the best view in the entire building. Ocean view. We've also got the walls painted. The ceiling is going up. This is just to give you an idea of the view they have. I might put my office there. Not sure. We'll see. <laughs> no, I'm not going to have an office. Actually, my office is going to be the conference room. We're going to maximize uh, the space. So it's going to be an office, conference room, and library all in one. Okay. That is what has been completed. Now, here are some of the costs remaining. The electrical is at approximately 85000 the HVAC at approximately 60000 In addition to this, we need uh, the finances for the plumbing remaining at approximately 45000 Interior painting at approximately 42000 A lot of that is paint, by the way, just for the paint. Uh, flooring at $37,000. we have already bought and paid for the materials. That's just the labor to put the flooring in. Uh, please know that these are the bigger ones, but there are also a lot of smaller ones, and the problem is that a lot of little makes a lot, and actually that number is in the high six figures in terms of a lot of little being a lot. But here's the good thing. The lot of little makes a lot works both ways in the sense that a lot of the little gifts makes a lot as well. And this is why any amount that you give, large or small, makes a huge difference. Let me just, and again, I really appreciate your patience here with me. Boy, you just have no idea how hard this is. But I hope you know, for those of you who know our ministry and our church and know me personally, that we are absolutely not about the money. It's not about the money. That's why we don't even receive an offering. We have a, a homemade box on a folding table for tithes and offerings. We've never received an offering. Nothing wrong with that. We just wanted to do that because so many churches uh, make it about the money. And we wanted to almost overcompensate for that and go to the other end and only reference that for those wishing to worship the Lord with their tithes and offerings, we have a box. This is also why, by the way, you'll never hear at the end of our radio or TV broadcasts, any plea for money. This is why when, for those of you who get CDs or resources, it's never about the money. It's just 
if you want to suggest a donation, praise the Lord. And this is also why on our YouTube videos there will never be ads. The last time my daughter uh, sung, I think it was Resurrection Sunday, it might have been Father's Day, and they, there are people out there, and they, they tagged, <clears throat> tagged our video because my daughter uh, sung a copyrighted song. And so they put ads, and I was livid. But there's nothing I could do about it. So I put an, an apology to all of our YouTube subscribers, by the way, which numbers, this is astounding. Only God could do this. Almost 50,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel from all over the world and even the Middle East and Iran, by the way. We can tell who's viewing where these videos. Almost 50,000. And I put an apology that this is why there's an ad because there will never be an ad on any of our YouTube videos where we generate revenue. There's no way. Um, Why do I say that? Because I take this very seriously. This is why I've spent a considerable amount of time fasting and praying about, God, what do you want me to do? I can't imagine that you brought us this far to abandon us. I'm not going to doubt in the time of need that which you showed us when we miraculously got this building. And I sense that this is what the Lord would have us to do. So I am simply and humbly going to ask that if the Lord puts this on your heart, there are two ways other than our agape box that you can give. First, you see it there on the screen, you can use PayPal. You can use a credit card uh, on our website at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Now, it was brought to our attention that a lot of our online people, maybe some of you locally, don't want to use PayPal. You're boycotting PayPal, I understand. Uh, the other option is to send it in by mail to the address on the screen, which is 39 Maloniu Avenue, Suite 201 in Kailua, not Kaneohe, 96734. Now, let me say lastly that God loves a cheerful giver, right? And please hear me out on this. Unless the Lord has placed the joy of giving in your heart, then please don't give. Let me say that again. Unless the Lord has placed the joy of giving on your heart, don't give, because to do so would be under compulsion. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. I told you we'd get to 2 Corinthians <laughs> chapter 9, verse 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Another translation renders it under pressure. And here's why. For God loves a cheerful giver. We cannot, and I know I speak on behalf of the board, the leadership, and the church here, we cannot thank you enough for all that you've already given, and I want to assure you and commit to you that we are being very good stewards of this God's money for this God's church. As I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to celebrate communion today, and if you're able to stay 
we would really encourage you to do so. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to this. I've been wanting to share this for quite some time, and that's why I didn't want to be rushed. And sure enough, that clock is of the devil. Uh, <laughs> don't look at your watches. Listen, if you have to leave, we understand. Uh, but if you're able to stay, we would really uh, encourage you to do so. I want to share with you uh, about the significance of the fifth cup of the Passover Seder. For those of you who have participated in a Jewish Passover Seder, it is, it is phenomenal. Uh, you likely know or have heard about this fifth cup, also known as the Elijah Cup. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 14 through 21, which we're going to read shortly when we partake, Jesus says that he will not drink again of the cup, which is of the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of God comes. And then he goes on to say that the cup is the new covenant in his blood, which is poured out for us. Now, you probably know where I'm going with this, so I'm going to get right to the point. What is this cup that Jesus is referring to? The cup that Jesus is speaking of is this fifth cup. And oh, by the way, the number five is the number of grace. The fifth commandment is the only commandment that has any grace. Honor thy father and thy mother so that the Lord you know, may be uh, good to you and extend the years on the land that you liveth. It's the only command, the fifth commandment. Oh, by the way, uh, the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet God used and inserted in the fifth place of both Abram and Sarai's name and changed Abram to Ibrahim and Sarai to Sarah. The fifth letter, the number of grace, changed their names and the name is the nature. If you ever want to do a study on the number five in Scripture, it is powerful. It is powerful. Five, the number of grace. This fifth cup that Jesus himself would drink from in our stead. Where does this come from? Well, the first four cups are expressions of redemption by way of the divine declaration found in the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verses 2 through 8. The first is that God declares, I will take you out. Second, I will deliver you. Third, I will redeem you. And fourth, I will acquire you. Those are the first four cups that the, the Jews in the Seder will drink from. But it's this fifth cup that I want to draw your attention to because it has to do with God's promise of I will bring you into the land. This is the fifth cup that's filled during the final stage of the Passover Seder, but the Jews do not drink from it because it's poured for and in honor of Elijah, the prophet Elijah. Instead of drinking from this cup, they place it at the center of the table where the children watch it, hoping for a sign that the prophet Elijah has come and sampled from the cup. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because the, this fifth cup is filled with the wine of God's wrath. Consider Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 15 through 17. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, 
said to me, Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations to whom he sent me drink it. That's the cup. The reason it's known as Elijah's cup is because of the prophecy in the book of Malachi where God says Elijah would return prior to the Messiah and the day of God's wrath. It's in chapter 4, verse 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. This Elijah cup, filled with the wine of God's wrath, is the same cup that Jesus was referring to when he prayed in the garden before they came to arrest him and take him to the cross. Here's what Jesus prays in reference to this cup in Matthew 26, verse 39 and 42. He, speaking of Jesus, went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus knew from which cup he would drink. It would be the cup filled with the wine of the wrath of God that he alone could drink from by taking upon him the sin of all mankind. Here's the bottom line. Jesus would drink from this cup of wrath in our stead, and in so doing, he would fulfill the prophecy of the Passover. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5-7 writes that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb because he has been sacrificed for us. And it's with this understanding that I'd like for us to partake together of communion as a celebration and commemoration of what Jesus did for us and instead of us. You've been sitting a long time. You have treasures in heaven. Why don't you stand? We have three tables in the front, one on each side, one in the center. The worship team's going to come up. They're going to lead us in song. And as they do, you can come up, get the elements. They're prepackaged. Take them back to your seat. Then take your seat and then wait so that we can partake together. So go ahead and come on up.
My favorite account of the Last Supper is in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 22, verses 14 through 21, because Jesus talks in detail about the significance of this cup. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, and here's the second time, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine filled with the wrath of God until the kingdom of God comes where it's symbolic, which is what we're doing here today in remembrance of Him drinking from that cup in our stead, breaking that bread in our stead. Interesting, I wish I had time, but the tradition with the Jews, even to this day, with the second piece of the matzah bread, there are three pieces. The second piece, a picture a type of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Christ. And they break it in half. Now it's two. A, a picture, a type of the nature of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. And they hide the one piece and the children run a race and receive a price, prize if they find it. It's, this is why, if you're anything like me, you find it so hard to understand why God's people, the Jewish people, don't see it. Their eyes have blinders until that time comes. But it is so heartbreaking. And the Jews are jealous of our relationship with their God, by the way. This is what Paul talks about in Romans. 
We, we provoke them to jealousy. We, we know the God that they only served with the ritual and wrote. He says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you take the packaging and peel back the top, you'll find the bread there and just take it out and hold on to it for a moment. We hold in our hands a symbol of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken, fulfilling the prophecy again of the Passover lamb, whose body, not bones, no bones of Jesus were broken. No bones of that Passover lamb could be broken. They had to take a lamb that would be spotless without blemish and inspect that lamb for the Passover for four days, the exact amount of time that Jesus was on trial. Four days as the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb. And when that Lamb was found to be without spot or blemish, they would break the body by slitting the throat. That's what this is referring to. His body broken, his skin broken, for us, and by the way, another interesting, while I'm at it, significance with the number seven we know to be the number of completion. Do you realize that Jesus bled his body broken in seven, the number of completion places? Let's count them. The head, one. The back, two. Both wrists, three, four. His feet, five, six. And finally, his side, seven. His skin was broken seven times. The number of completion, which is symbolic when it comes to Jesus saying, It is finished. It is finished. Period. Done. Complete. Would you partake of the bread with me? Lord, thank you. Once again, saying thank you seems so inadequate. It's impossible really for us to adequately thank you for what you did for us. And Lord, thank you for giving us this to do in remembrance of what you did for us. Lord, thank you for your body broken for us. Luke goes on to write in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup, that's the cup, that's the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Do you realize that Jesus took that cup and he would drink from that cup filled with the wine of God's wrath 
so we wouldn't have to. He would drink from that cup in our stead and his blood was shed in our stead for the remission, the removing, not the covering kufar in the Hebrew Old Testament. This is the New Covenant. In the Old Testament for Israel, it was just a covering of the sin. Kufar. In the New Testament, it's not covering. It's removing. As far as the east is from the west, and remembered no more. Why? Because he would drink from this cup. Would you partake with me? And once you do, if you would, please stand and we'll pray. Lord, again, how is it even possible that we can thank you enough Lord, thank you for paying in full the price for our salvation. Thank you for purchasing us with your blood and paying for us with your life so that we could have eternal life. Lord, if there's anybody here in this church today or watching by way online that has never called upon you to be saved, I pray that today would be the day because of this cup that we have just partaken of. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, you guys. Uh, is second service here already? So, listen, thank you so much for your patience. God bless you and uh, have a great, blessed, and Christ-centered week.